Please open your Bibles at uh, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18, and reading through to 2, verse 5. William Barclay, I think it was, told a story uh, about a young man uh, who was making a, a whistle-stop uh, trip through an art gallery. And he was probably falling into the same trap that some of us made in our interrailing days when you went through uh, 23 European art galleries and thought you had done the lot. And he came out the other end and he said to the custodian at the door, well, it says, I don't think much of the art in this place. And with an effort at restraint, the custodian said to him, uh, young man, these uh, pictures are no longer uh, being tested. It's those who are viewing them that are being well, in a similar way, the cross comes to test us. Uh, Martin Luther had uh, a famous phrase, uh, which of course was in Latin, Crux uh, uh, omnia provit. The cross tests everything. The cross tests everything. Tests your heart tonight. Your attitude to the cross of Jesus, the rude, barbaric cross of Jesus, uh, is a test of your relationship to God. Uh, the cross tests the way that we do ministry in the church, the way that we relate to one another, the way that we do evangelism, reaching out uh, to those around us. The cross tests everything. Some find the cross to be an absolute conundrum. They do not get it. Uh, for them, it represents uh, the ultimate uh, in the, the, the church's flight from reason, that the cross of all things should be so important. But for Christians, the cross is a, a sign of, of delight. It is the, the visible token of God's love to us. This is how God has expressed his love for us. Word about the, the situation at Corinth that gives rise to this teaching from Paul at this point about the message of the cross. Uh, Paul is giving a, a major chunk of doctrinal teaching, but as in all the epistles, there is a context, there's a situation behind uh, Paul's teaching. And the situation in Corinth is that there uh, were within the, the, the church a group who had assumed roles of leadership after Paul had left, even although they seemed not to have had uh, a particularly good grasp of some very important doctrines. And we learn from what Paul has to say later in the, in the letter that the group made their appeal to those around them uh, on the basis of their, their uh, practicing of prophecy and of the speaking in tongues that they were therefore wise and had spiritual power. And they were lording it over the others at Corinth on that basis. They, they were arguing that these wisdom gifts marked them out as superior. And Paul's response is to show that is the very reverse of the, the logic of the cross. It's the very reverse of how God uh, works. Now, if you think about uh, the, the kind of cultural background to, to Corinth, where this church uh, was situated, 
then uh, it's easy to see how the, the way of thinking, the world view of the, the Greeks uh, at the time and previously had actually seeped into the way of thinking of the church. Uh, if you think of some of the things that Greece uh, was and is famous for, then uh, if you were to list three, you would probably uh, come up with uh, philosophy and famous orators, people like Socrates. Greece was famous for uh, its philosophy. It's also notorious for its sexual immorality. Uh, the Temple of Aphrodite uh, was an example of that uh, moral pollution in Greek society. But it was also famous for uh, its imperial past. It had this great empire that Alexander the Great had founded, and Greece was still uh, very proud of its imperial past. And, and something of that, that power and pomp was on display at the, the Greek games at, at Olympus and, and at uh, Corinth itself, which had a kind of copy of the Olympic Games. So, what was prized in Greece? Uh, wise philosophy, uh, liberal morality, and imperial power uh, was filtering into the minds of the, of the, the Christians in the church uh, so that they came to, to, to prize uh, powerful speakers. And they were tolerant of sexual immorality. They didn't come down on it as they ought to. And they also prized power, just as power was seen as something important in the society around them. They wanted to be people of power. <clears throat> and what Paul has to say here is absolutely uh, important in understanding uh, what he'll say later on when he comes to address the abuse of spiritual gifts in Corinth. So, let's start <clears throat> with a looking at this contrast which Paul makes between, uh, first of all, the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of the cross. And uh, look at the preaching of the cross, uh, the people of the cross, and the pattern of the cross, how the wisdom of the cross works itself out in the lifestyle of Christians. First of all, then, the wisdom of God is seen in the preaching of the cross. Uh, in verses 18 to 25, Paul is speaking about two different kinds of wisdom. Uh, there's human wisdom, or the wisdom of the world on the one side, and there is the wisdom from God, which is epitomized by the, the preaching or the message of the cross. What's meant by the wisdom of the world? Well, Paul associates this in verse 19 with the wise and intelligent, uh, in, verse, in verse 20 with the scholar and the philosopher, and he's speaking about these things in, in a, a particular way. Uh, it would be wrong for us to think that Paul is, uh, is dissing education, that he's having a, a swipe at people who can speak well in public. That's not what Paul is doing here. Think about Paul himself. Paul was trained uh, to the highest level in the rabbinic school. He trained under uh, the great teacher Gamaliel. When Paul was converted, uh, you know, on the dramatic conversion on the road to, to Damascus, 
Paul didn't immediately go out there and start preaching on street corners. Paul spent years in the desert grappling with the scriptures, making the connections between what the Old Testament said about the Messiah and the great act of God in Jesus Christ. He thought things through. Now, in other words, he studied theology for years before he ever uh, did anything. And then uh, when he uh, came to towns, his method was to go to the synagogue and to reason with the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. He would go to the marketplace and he would try to make connections with the, the, the non-Jewish people that worked there. And one of the best examples is on Mars Hill in Athens when he's quoting poets that the, the philosopher types there uh, would know about. Paul was no intellectual slouch. He was a highly educated uh, and competent uh, preacher of the Word of God. Uh, after he left Corinth, uh, sorry, in Corinth, Acts 18 tells us he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When he left Corinth and went to Ephesus, uh, he took his disciples there to the lecture hall of Tyrannus and he had discussions daily. They had an interactive Bible study together. Paul loved to debate. He loved to reason with people. He loved to, to tease out the truth of the, the Word of God in Christ Jesus. So there's no basis in what Paul is saying here uh, to, uh, to throw out the, the idea of the importance of uh, training for the preacher. And one of the distinctives of our own denomination of the preacher is that we believe in an educated ministry. Uh, we don't believe in shortcuts because handling of the Word of God is something very significant, very uh, solemn. And so the, the preacher of the Word of God uh, needs to take on the serious business of grappling with the languages, with some philosophy, with history, with systematic theology. We believe in the work of apologetics. Uh, as a church, we have uh, had apologetics nights uh, over the last winter. Apologetics is simply uh, giving a defense of the gospel in the face of its critics. And uh, there's a very noble tradition of doing just that. And so we sought to defend the gospel against those who would say that science has disproved the Bible or that religion is a source of all uh, strife and so on. So Paul's not saying that to be well-educated or to be a good speaker is something that we shouldn't prize within the church. What Paul is getting at is the, the man-centered pride that was so characteristic of the culture uh, around Corinth. Uh, this intellectual pride that puts man at the center. See, as Christians, our worldview uh, takes its cue from God. God is at the center of our understanding of the way that everything is. Uh, God has spoken to us. Uh, we receive what God has said. Uh, we don't stand uh, over and above God, making judgments on God and his word, but we submit ourselves humbly to the word of God, and we receive what we would not understand ourselves from the word 
of God. But the wisdom of the world is the opposite of that. The wisdom of the world places its confidence in man's reasoning. Man is at the center of his universe. Uh, and in history, one of the, the, the best examples of, of this working out was the, the, the period that we call the Enlightenment from the, the 18th century. Uh, and at that point, people quite self-consciously said, in the past, people took their cue from Revelation, from the Bible. But we're not doing that any longer. Uh, we'll believe in some things that the Bible says which uh, appear to us as being reasonable. But we will be the, the judge of what we accept or not in the Bible. Uh, you have to think things through, they said, uh, from basics, with human reason. Uh, we no longer believe that the Bible is an infallible book. So that whole tradition uh, which infected uh, training of ministers in the universities uh, was a turning away from God to put man at the centre. And that's the kind of intellectual pride that Paul is talking about. The wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the philosopher. The wise man. The one who thinks that he knows and is able to judge what God has said. What then about the wisdom of God? Well, four things uh, that Paul says about that. He says it's uh, a wisdom which has its origin in God. Uh, verse 21, it's the wisdom of God. Verse 30, the wisdom from God. Uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, the testimony about God. So you see, the, the wisdom of God is from God and it's about God. It's, it's all about God. It's derived, it's, it's been given to us by God and it's a message uh, which in God's wisdom uh, is such that it is unmistakably not a message that man made up. The message that comes to us through the preaching of the cross is not a storyline that anyone would make up. No human would seek to win the world by telling the world about a, a saviour uh, who was betrayed by friends, handed over to a court, condemned and hung on a cross in the most humiliating way. Uh, that's not a story that compels a reading from the worldly wise. It has to be uh, a story that has God as its origin. And even the, the method of communicating this message is designed to underline that it's God's message. Uh, Paul in verse 23 says, we preach Christ crucified. Uh, and the word preach, the way Paul uses it, is a distinctively Christian word. Uh, to preach, the word is, is literally to, to be a herald. To be someone who has a message uh, to deliver. And so, everything about this is ruling out being creative. You know? You're not there to make up or to spice up the message. You're there to deliver the truth of something. You're simply the messenger boy. You're to be faithful in delivering what God has given. We're to pass it on. Now, Paul points out that because this is the case, 
doesn't appeal to the desire that we all have to be the centre of our little universe. Because uh, in our thinking there is always that uh, intellectual pride. Even uh, for, for those of us that don't think of ourselves as, as very clever, we still like to think that we know a thing or two. And we still like to think that we can judge the truth of what God has said. And because uh, of the, the, the message of the cross cuts across all human ideas of what is wise and powerful, it's an offence to all kinds of people. And Paul classifies the world into two groups, uh, to the Jews and the Greeks. And the Greeks stand for the non-Jewish world. It's shorthand for the Gentiles. Uh, so it was a stumbling block to the Jews. Uh, the Jews were very matter-of-fact people. They weren't like the Greeks. They didn't really have a, a philosophical tradition as such. Uh, but they liked to have evidence to back things up. And they would like to have a sign that proved that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. That their scriptures spoke of the Messiah and of his sufferings and the glory to follow. But they weren't convinced unless they had a sign. And Jesus said that the only sign that they would be given would be the sign of the resurrection. But they weren't content with the sign of the resurrection. And so they stumbled at the message. They stumbled at the notion of, of their Messiah dying on a cross. The cross was a stumbling block to the Jews. And for the Greeks, well, it was foolishness. Utter foolishness. Utter folly. Their ideal was the, the philosopher who was raised in, in lofty grandeur above all pain and suffering. And so why would anybody make their leader somebody who had been humiliated on the cross? didn't make sense. The reaction of the, of the, the, the Greek people was well illustrated by uh, a piece of graffiti that was found on the, the Palatine Hill in, in Rome. And this uh, kind of symbol, it's not exactly comic, it's tragic, but a picture of, of a, a youth uh, kneeling before uh, what is a hybrid between a man and a donkey, a man with a donkey's head. And this uh, donkey man is, is on a cross. And the roughly sketched writing reads, Alexamenos worships his God. In other words, here's a fool worshipping worshiping his crucified uh, man donkey. Foolishness to the Greeks. And yet, wisdom from God. And because it is the wisdom of God, Paul says, it brings power. It comes with power. It is the power of God. Why is it the power of God? Well, Paul's already touched on this. Romans 1.16. Uh, he says that uh, he's not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. This message... Uh, comes with power to change those who receive it. It brings new life. <clears throat> That's what we, we've been seeing in the, in the Roman studies. It's called effective calling. God speaks through his word 
And the word spoken comes with power to change. Just as Lazarus, although he's dead, is spoken to by Jesus, the, the words that Jesus speaks bring transforming life, and the dead hear and respond. And that is what uh, Paul says is true about the message of the cross. It brings life to people who are spiritually dead. reading uh, the, one of the, the testimonies on the Christianity Explored uh, Facebook page and there's a, a lady called Katie uh, shares how it was that uh, going along to a Christianity Explored course had brought her uh, to faith in Christ. This is what she said. I thought God created beauty uh, in the world but had then left it for us to enjoy like stunning landscapes and ideals, like no sex outside marriage. I loved old things, enjoyed art, and was ambitious at school, a very romantic worldview. However, I started uh, to get angry in my 20s when things started to seem a bit empty. During postgraduate work in Cambridge and starting work in London, I was experimenting with relationships and being quite hurtful to people and started to long for a change. Out of the blue, someone invited me to All Souls Church. I wouldn't have said I was particularly searching at that point, but I supposed uh, I surprised myself by how much I wanted to go. I went on a Christianity Explored course, but I didn't really uh, expect, expect that God would change my life. I thought it would be like the Spanish class I had taken the year before, just something to fill in the gaps in my education. In week three, they asked, what would it be like not to promote yourself in every conversation? I felt this cold shiver go through me and just knew I had to listen. A few months later, I prayed the prayer of repentance in Jesus and was completely blown away with joy and peace and knew God was answering my prayer. My heart skipped a beat when I woke up next morning and remembered that God is unchanging, but my life had changed into an adventure. Friends, do you know in your own experience that life-changing encounter with at Jesus and his cross. Uh, effective calling means that God comes and brings something new into our lives. Uh, that it's no longer the same old, same old. Something uh, supernatural, something spiritual happens through the preaching, through the, the understanding, the grasping of the message of the cross. It's the power of God. It doesn't leave us unchanged. It brings joy and peace and contentment. And if you don't know that, you need to uh, come to, to this Christ crucified uh, more than any other thing. You need to know his saving work uh, in your life. Paul goes on to show how uh, the, the principle of, of undermining uh, human ways of doing things, human worldviews, uh, are also shown uh, not just in the, the gospel, in its preaching and in its content, but in the church itself, 
uh, it's shown in the kind of people that God is gathering together. Uh, Paul is perhaps uh, writing with a smile on his face as he thinks about the people who will be hearing the letter, because of course the letter was was read out uh, in the, the company that gathered there at Corinth. He thinks on the rather assertive Corinthians and reminds them of their humble backgrounds. Uh, They weren't drawn from the political leaders of Corinth. There weren't many uh, celebrities. There were uh, no fashion queens, no uh, hyper-wealthy people in the church at Corinth. Uh, He doesn't say that there were none of these people, but that there were not many uh, who were powerful or influential. But rather, we can suppose that they had lots of ordinary uh, working people They would have had slaves who had to sneak away in order to get to the services. Uh, They would have had uh, market sellers, road sweepers, small-time civil servants. Uh, Likely they would have had a number of of widows. Uh, Maybe some disabled people were present. People who had had knocks in life. Perhaps people who had had struggles with, with alcohol or depression. And they were gathered there in that church. And again, uh, the reason that nobody should boast before God. That's why God had gathered these people. God is jealous for his glory. He will not give his glory to another. And every way he does things is designed to uh, reveal his majesty and his wisdom. Because of him... Paul says that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. True wisdom is to see that our righteousness before God is all down to Christ taking our place. Our holiness is the holiness that Christ has given us as a status and is working out in us. Our redemption is the freedom we have now from sin because of the price that Christ paid by dying on the cross for us. All that we have that is worth anything uh, for now and in eternity, we have received. We have received from Christ through his cross. Now these, these notes that Paul is sounding here, these are notes that sometimes uh, we, we don't hear in the church as often as we should. Uh, in our evangelism, uh, in the church at large, is it not true that it's often the, the rich and powerful who are courted? Uh, so often uh, when people are being pointed to examples of Christians, it will be celebrities, very often who make uh, short-lived professions of faith. And when we hold them up to, as the, the great examples we're actually pandering to the celebrity culture that the cross has denied. We had a a, a poster that was um, quite a shocking poster, actually, from Teen Challenge. And uh, it was shocking in that there were pictures on one side uh, of uh, people who had struggled with addiction for years. and, And then pictures of the same people on the other side of the poster uh, having 
come to Christ and having had their lives uh, cleaned. And on the one side, there were pictures of people with care-worn faces. Uh, the, the lines that reflected on uh, years of abusing their bodies, of being disappointed, let down, falling down again and again. And then the contrast on the other side. Quite remarkable. This is the true evidence of the power of God uh, in the lives of people uh, who were broken, uh, who have been made whole again, because there's no explanation for that than the transforming grace of Christ. Celebrities and the wealthy can point to their own resources and their own intellects uh, for where they are. But those who have been on the floor and have been raised by the grace of God uh, can only point uh, to God's amazing love. The people of the cross, and then lastly, the pattern of the cross. Uh, <clears throat> we have in, in verses 1 to 5 of chapter 2, one of these lovely uh, windows that Paul opens on his own heart and on his, his own uh, attitude uh, as a missionary of the gospel. Paul uh, says that in his preaching, as he came to, to the people in Corinth uh, in these early days, uh, he had quite deliberately turned his back on flowery rhetoric. Uh, he had turned his back on, on human wisdom and technique. His task, he says, was to proclaim, uh, to be a, a herald uh, for the testimony about God. The testimony about God. A testimony is simply the facts about something. And the sharing of the gospel is always a sharing about the facts uh, regarding Jesus and his cross. He came, he says, in weakness and fear and much trembling. Now, to think about what it would have been like uh, psychologically for Paul to have arrived in Corinth, he had been mocked by the philosophers uh, in Athens before he came. Uh, he had come to Corinth. He had been so discouraged in Corinth that the Lord uh, had to come to him in uh, a vision and tell him not to be afraid, not to stop talking, but to keep on talking because he had many people in that city. And Paul, uh, in his preaching, was single-minded in his resolve to focus on the cross and its outworking. Uh, he was determined not to allow anything like flowery language or uh, technique to distract from the core of his message. And the demonstration of power was the example of lives that had been changed, people who had been turned around, uh, whose present-day circumstances could be explained by nothing other than the transforming grace of God in Jesus Christ. Paul's ministry was shaped by the cross, by the wisdom of the cross. And that has to be true for, for you and for me and all that we do as the church. Our, our life together, our outreach, our evangelism has to be shaped by the cross. Uh, now that means practically that we... Uh, do not court the kind of people who are regarded as somebodies in the world. But that we recognize that the, the gospel is for the, the downtrodden and the poor in spirit and the broken. 
there's a, I heard once about a, a, a church, I think it was in Scandinavia somewhere, where uh, the, the architect had purposefully used uh, second-hand materials to build this church uh, in order to communicate a message. And so you uh, went into this church and instead of having nice smooth walls and so on, uh, there were broken bricks and chipped glass and so on. And the, the message that the architecture of the church was communicating was that the, the church, the true church, the people in the church were actually broken people that God was making whole again by his spirit. Sadly, that's not the message that people outside the church often hear from us. Uh, they see us in a coming looking prosperous and all together, and they think that this is a place for people who have it all together. And very often when they hear the church speaking, uh, what they pick up on is that the church is critical of their community. That's not the servant logic of the church. Paul's challenging us this evening uh, to have our, our mission shaped by the wisdom the worldview, the logic of the cross. It also means, doesn't it, that uh, we ought not to expect to persuade people by the, the, the soundness, the cleverness of our arguments. Uh, the mother with her child at school uh, who tells her that she's beginning to doubt in God because of what she's hearing. What does that mother need? She doesn't need powerful arguments uh, to insulate her child. But the child does need to see uh, the love of Christ uh, lived out uh, in the life of the church, in the community of the church, with realism. Uh, needs to see that the, that the church is a place where people uh, are secure in the love of God that we repent of sin, that we acknowledge our, our mistakes, that we ask for forgiveness, and so on. The logic of the cross means that effective evangelism uh, will look very different from uh, stadium rock shows, or political rallies, or beauty pageants. All of these are, they epitomize uh, the way that the world's mindset thinks it will attract people, and the church will be very different from that. The church will come and will call on people to follow uh, a saviour who was crucified on the cross. And very often, uh, if we go in the spirit of Paul, we will get our words uh, back to front, and we'll feel that we have messed it up completely, and we'll feel daunted by people uh, who are perhaps used to debating, and who have got uh, powerful, sophisticated arguments. But we'll go because we believe uh, in the wisdom of the cross and in the power of the cross in the work of the Holy Spirit. There's no other way uh, for the winning of a lost world than to humbly trust uh, in the Spirit to bring to bear the power of God to the hearts of lost men and women and young people. That was the way in Paul's day, and God has never revised it. May we have confidence in the message of the cross.
Amen. It's uh, close to singing <coughs> the hymn that uh, really asks God to shape our, our thinking, our vision. Be thou my vision. Lord of my heart, not be all else to me save that thou art thou my best thought by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence my life. Be thou my vision. mercy and peace from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest upon you now and forevermore.